Hey, this is Robbie Shaw. This is Patrick Bosley. And I'm Sam Hampson. And this is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back to Champagne Problems, everybody. Let's jump right in. Sam and Patrick, what were the things at one point you thought you couldn't do without drinking? Live. Live. Yes. Eat. Talk. (laughs) Sleep. No, I'll go first. The things that I prioritized early in my life, which were very much centered around social situations, popularity, you know, um, attraction by the opposite sex, you know, all these things that are super important when you're younger, I did not know how to do. And when I first drank, alcohol gave me that false sense of all of those things. I was able to talk to girls. I was able to be funny. I was popular. I was in with the crowds. I was doing all the things. And, and so over time, that became my dependence. And I was not able to do any of those things without alcohol. So essentially, I could go to work. I could go to school. But anything outside of that, I felt I needed alcohol. I don't know. Mine's a little different. Alcohol for me was more of a baseline. And it was like, I never thought about, you know, what life would be like without it because it was always there. And I think it mm-hmm. was it was just so normal in mm-hmm. in my life and around and everybody's lives around me that it was just it was just like part of my daily my daily routine. Yeah. And I just I never thought about that thought just never came into my mind. It was like, oh, what would I do without this? It was like, it, it was just so, it was just this unconscious behavior that it was part of me for so long. Yeah. Um, th- well, that question just never, it never came up. Well, that question, I mean, I agree. That question, I wasn't thinking about that then yeah. either. It was more yeah. about when it was removed then I had to, then it all came to light. Like, oh, this is what I use it for. For me, when it was removed, it was, there was so much relief involved in that. There was no fear about it for me. Yeah. And I was not expecting that either, which is kind of cool. That like, once I kind of got out of that trap, one of the first things I realized was like, holy crap, like, like, I don't, I, I never needed this. Right. I was like kind of pissed. Yeah. You know, it was like. Why did I do? Yeah. Because yeah. like, well, I had lived unconsciously for so long and, and I, I had, you know, 15 years of my life was like, you know, it, it was gone. Yeah. With a bunch of destruction, not a lot of positive memories. Um, I mean, so I'm in the beginning. Sam, your experience, I, I assume, is a little different. Let's hear it. It is, yeah. And I honestly, I have to constantly fight this, like, comparison piece of, like, I really want to agree and be like, oh, me too. You and really want to be an alcoholic? And I can't. <laughs> like, I, I don't even remotely relate. And I think yeah. maybe that's why I'm on the podcast, right, is to also share some of that voice because I never felt that way about alcohol. I 
the only thing that I felt like alcohol brought me that would be missing if I removed it is just a place to be with others and fit in. Mm. Not any of the other stuff that you talk about in terms of like helping me feel like I fit in or confidence or any of that. If anything, it kind of gave me anxiety because I didn't enjoy it. It made me not feel good. And, and I always felt like, God, why am I so weird? Like, why do other people enjoy this so much? They enjoy going out and getting drunk. And I don't. It makes me anxious. Like, I, it makes my stomach not feel good. Like, all these things. And the thing that I couldn't let go of because of the age I was, I was in my early 20s. I was 21 when I decided that I didn't want to drink. And it was the, this sounds so silly, but I'm hoping that people can relate to this. I just wanted to be on date night and have a pretty drink, or I wanted to be at a rooftop bar and have a pretty drink. And I wanted to feel like it was like girls night out. And I was like sharing and I was part of And the minute that I realized that I could do all of that without alcohol in that pretty drink, it was fine. Like, as long as I could partake and I could be there and I could be present and I would try these different ways of like, okay, like it's date night. Like, I want a pretty cocktail, right? And I would just order it without alcohol or I would get to the bar before my friends would show up and I would order like a... I don't know, soda water with lime to make it look like I was drinking so that I didn't have to deal with the questions or that that I was immediately received as part of without having to say, oh, I'm not drinking or, oh, I don't enjoy it or, you know, whatever. But that was really it. That was my only fear was just, am I not going to be involved or part of if I don't drink? And how do I still get this experience that I still kind of want that alcohol seems to bring people And just trying to figure those pieces out. But once I figured that out and once I realized that I could make that happen, I really didn't grieve a ton of loss. I still had the thoughts of like, why am I not like other people? Why do I not enjoy it like other people? Like surely there's other people out there. I can't be the only one that's like, you know, 40 when I'm 21 kind of thing and just like not fun. (laughs) But yeah, I... All the other attachment to alcohol I didn't have. In fact, I really didn't understand why people were so determined to drink. I felt like an outlier in that sense. And I think that's what I really love about what we're talking about today with countercultures. There's got to be people out there that don't enjoy drinking, that just want a place to go, that actually have never had any type of consequence or problematic use, that just don't like to drink. Yes, there absolutely are. No question. And maybe that's part of the fight that even like as a person, you know, like even as a person this far into the field or this far into my journey that I still feel this like, oh, I should say what Patrick and Robbie are saying or like that should like, yeah, that's what people are going to get or that's what speaks to people. And I just can't. I have to stand in my own kind of story and be like, I don't get that. That's not really mine. That's not been my experience. Mine's a totally different isolating experience. You're perfect just the way you are. Sam. Oh. <laughs> no, well, well, but Sam, that I mean that is that is hugely valuable. You have had a different experience with alcohol and there are yeah. plenty of people out there that have had the same experience or very different than ours. Patrick and I's especially mine is super extreme when it comes to alcohol. There's a reason why we we kind of go down the ladder on 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 experiences with with who our hosts are here. It's it's because we're trying to reach everybody. Mm-hmm. And you're one end of the spectrum and I'm at the other and and I think that is hugely valuable. So yeah. so please don't apologize for not, you know, being similar to us. That's I yeah. love that you shared that. So thank you. 
I feel like maybe that's the experience of some of our listeners too, right? Where yeah, of course. they Absolutely. feel the need to like I share hope. the same experience. And it's like, you know what? Like I can't, I can't do that. What well, perpetuates the normalization? Yeah. No question. Your experience is, is exactly what I think a lot of people want and need to hear. So today our guest is Molly Ruggieri, founder and CEO of Counterculture Club, which is based here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Counterculture Club is a global alcohol-free community. I'm pumped. Yeah, I am pumped too. So, let's go to Molly. So, hello Molly. Welcome to Champagne Problems. Hello, thank you for having me. We are honored to have you here. Molly and I uh, met a couple of days ago and, and had a conversation around what we were going to speak about today, and I feel like we, we are very much in line in our missions and our, the way we think about uh, life uh, alcohol-free. So Molly, let's get going. First question, let's start with just a brief look into your past, if you don't mind discussing that. We don't need any war stories or anything, but what led you to change your drinking patterns? Yeah, so um, a brief look at my history. I didn't start drinking alcohol until college. Uh, my story is very similar to a lot of people's stories and the trajectory of it. I drank socially in college. I drank it to drink alcohol to kind of escape the social anxiety that came with parties. It was also just college. So it was very yeah. normalized. Binge drinking is incredibly normalized. Mm. Um, I balanced it with my schoolwork. I would drink on the weekends, binge drink on the weekends, and then recover on Sundays and go to class. I was, you know, an honor roll student. I had eight internships. I was always trying to, like, do the most. Uh, and so it wasn't really a concern for me. Of course, there were those nights where crazy things would happen, but we would laugh it off the next day in the dining hall and move on with our lives. So then after I graduated, I lived in D.C. for a summer, worked at an internship. Drinking, if anything, kind of went down, not downhill, but it, it was less of a thing for me when I was in D.C. because I was working full-time, didn't really have that many friends, so I wasn't going out as much. Uh, but then I moved to N New York City in mm. 2012 for mm. a music PR internship and moved there with two suitcases, no paid job, you know, the whole romanticized, like, I'm moving to the big city and <laughs> moved in with an ex-boyfriend and lived there for a couple days and then found my own place. And uh, my drinking, you know, it was still kind of the same as it was in college. We'd go out and, you know, get drunk with friends, and then I'd do my work, and I had two nanny jobs, and I was doing this internship. I found a full-time job in PR, and I was doing that. And then, you know, slowly I just started changing my habits and the ways I thought about alcohol. I always thought that I would never – I didn't like drinking during the day because it made me tired, but then I'd start going out for – boozy brunches and then that would turn into bar hopping and then before you know it it's five and you've been drinking all day long mm -hmm. and I just it kind of snuck up on me like I didn't see in when I was in it how I was increasing my alcohol intake and doing the things that I always thought that I wouldn't do like going out on a Tuesday and staying out till 4 a.m. at the bars because yeah. the bars are open till 4 a.m. every <laughs> right. night in New York City right. and when you look around and all your friends are doing the same thing it's just it's funny you laugh it off this is normal this is being in your 20s in the city um, it really wasn't until 2015 it kind of picked up um, and then 2017, I'd say, was when I started drinking to cope with 
negative emotions. Yeah. Um, it was, alcohol was definitely causing problems for me. I would, you know, I blacked out often when I drank, so I would do things I regretted, like send a bunch of text messages or, you know, order a bunch of food and not pick it, you know, like yeah. little things Rob like that. Sounds like but, yeah. but it would be embarrassing <laughs> and, you know, I just do the like Sunday morning apology tour where like, what happened? What did I say? You know, and it just... Uh, like I said, it really didn't become a thing that made me feel guilt and shame until I had this breakup in 2017, and I felt like my alcohol really contributed to that, my alcohol to use. To the breakup. Yes. Gotcha. It wasn't pointed to directly, but I would. I was very insecure in the relationship, so I would get drunk and cry and call my boyfriend and just, you know, say, I don't think you love me anymore, and... Mm. You know, it was just very dramatic and emotional, and he just got fed up with it, basically. And it was just, like, one night, it just, we broke up, and I never saw him again. And then that was when I started, like, self-soothing. So I would, every day on the way home from work, I would pick up a bottle of wine, and I would drink an entire bottle of wine every night. Mm -hmm. um, and that was what I used to make me feel less of my feelings yeah. that I was experiencing yeah. Been there. and yeah. yeah and then you know I was depressed I definitely think I was going through a depression I was prescribed antidepressants and I didn't want to take them because I knew that they conflicted with alcohol mm -hmm. and I chose to continue drinking rather than take the prescription yeah. um and I was also in a job that was really high stress. I wasn't happy there. And so I just didn't have anything going for me in New York. I had my friends and my social circle. All that I had was my social life and like going out and drinking. I didn't have any activities I did. I didn't have any other outlets. I wasn't really working out. I wasn't eating well. Um, so I drank to escape the stress that my drinking was causing me. Oh, yeah. And my parents kind of started to pick up on that something was off with me. I would call them regularly crying about, you know, my unhappiness with my job or my sadness over the breakup. And they could just tell that there was something up. So I came home for Christmas, and that's when they could see, like, the physical toll that the drinking was taking on me. My face was really bloated from alcohol and... Um, I was just crying all the time. I was just so emotional. And so they kind of suggested me coming back to Charlotte. And at that point, I was just so miserable. It was January in New York City, which Ooh. is the worst time. Yeah. I walked to work every day. So I was like trudging through the dirty <laughs> snow and like smoking a cigarette and just like <laughs> buying a Red Bull on the way to work. And it just became this just horrible oh. cycle. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was like, okay, I'll move back to Charlotte. So I quit my job. I left all of everything I had built for six years in New York, left my friends, kind of left unceremoniously. I didn't really say goodbye to that many people. My dad drove up to New York. We threw out a bunch of my stuff and put what we could in his car and drove back to Charlotte, and I moved in with them. And I kind of thought that that geographical change would – make me feel better and in a, in a way it did it made it a lot easier to kind of get out of that cycle but at the same time I didn't realize that one of their kind of stipulations was that I would stop drinking oh surprise surprise and so also once someone acknowledges that you have a problem it makes it a lot harder to 
pretend like you don't because uh-huh. you deep down will know if, if alcohol is causing you issues. But until someone actually says this is becoming a problem that we can see, then it it's a different story. And I don't think that for me I could drink without guilt once that was exposed. It was like I was a kid again and I felt like I was going to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So I was like sneaking around and still like drank occasionally when I had the opportunity. But you know, I got caught. Like, same thing in high school. Like, every time I would do something, I would get caught. So I got caught (laughs) drinking, and then... Sneaking out. At that point, my parents just said, you need to do some kind of program. You can find something. I didn't want to do AA, but they said, you know, figure something out, but you have to do something, because this is not working. You trying to just white-knuckle it. You know, I ended up going to an AA meeting. My dad was in the program, and so he took me to my first meeting, and I remember I didn't want to get a white chip. I just like kept going and just kind of being a fly on the wall and observing. And then eventually he kept like elbowing me to go get it. And so I did. But I just didn't want to commit to I didn't want to commit to forever. I didn't. I just was like, I'll do what I need to do to like pacify my parents, but this is not a lifestyle that I want to subscribe to, and I don't think that I am like these people. And so I, I just remember getting my white chip and sobbing because I was 27, and I was like, this is the end of my life. <laughs> yeah. My social life is over, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of older people, and like, I didn't see anybody my age, and it just didn't, it wasn't. I wasn't happy about it. Yeah, scarlet so. letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I just didn't sign up for this. I just felt kind of yeah. trapped. So a different kind of trapped. Yeah. Wow. So that's kind of the beginning. Well, thank you for sharing that. That makes me think of two things. One is how familiar I am with that story mm-hmm, personally. It's like the same it, thing. It is. And you said that mm-hmm. before you started. This is like many people's stories because of the progression. Mm-hmm. And for me specifically, New York City. I mean, could, I mean, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Exactly. Maybe a little deeper. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that, like w- walking down the street in the cold. Oh, weather I like that visual. With the Red Bull yes. hungover, <laughs> smoking the cigarette. Crying. I can like <laughs> feel that. Listening yeah. to um, Lord's <laughs> album had just come out, miserable. and yeah. I was listening to Lord's breakup album and oh. sobbing. And then I would get to work and start my day at my desk yeah. all day. Yeah. Oh God. Over yeah. like Groundhog Day. I can't. Yeah. I, I just. Yeah. And then back. the walk home, I would stop at a liquor store and I would mm-hmm. tell myself I wasn't going to do it and then oh, I was yeah. like well screw it and, then, rel- had and then relief hard day. Yeah. yeah and then relief so. that was uh, that was exactly my story and I remember going and doing the same thing I would walk out of work and I would go straight to a store and I would buy a pint of 110 proof blue label vodka and I would drink it, it before I walked out of the store and the guy would, <laughs> would just be like oh dude like, I know man I know Oh, it's brutal. But the other thing it made me think of, or or that you said that stood out was someone recognizing your problem and you not recognizing it. And and I think that speaks so much to the normalcy Mm -hmm. of problematic drinking, if you want to call it that, or just drinking in general, consistent Mm -hmm. drinking. It's like you can put yourself in a group of people just like you and way worse. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't have a problem. Right. And there's always someone worse. That Always. You can look at and be like, oh well, I'm not Always. puking over there. Yeah, I'm so. not dead. So let's talk about Counterculture Club, and that would be the the progression of of your story. So you come back to Charlotte, you you start 
looking at things a little differently, a little mm -hmm. little introspection, and, and so what leads you to the creation of Counterculture? Yeah, so that came when I was about two years sober. So I had spent my first, I'd say, first year doing AA pretty regularly, and then I started getting into, I discovered a whole entire other world of sobriety resources, and that was mainly through Instagram. So I made an Instagram account in, um, um, I think it was like my 200th day of sobriety, and I decided I was going to post every single day and just write like how it was going, and I did that every day until I hit my year mark, and that through that, I found uh, Holly Whitaker, Ruby Warrington, all of these accounts and like alternative paths to sobriety that really spoke to me because not only was it people doing things differently and giving me other op options and ways to look at things, it also I found a lot of resources on what was happening in my brain and like how it, alcohol affects you and what it does to your body and why you're addicted to it. And it wasn't the simple simplicity of you have a problem. It's yeah. not alcohol. It's you. you have a disease. There's something wrong with you. And right. I just didn't like that. It didn't sit well with me. I didn't subscribe to the idea that because I chose or kind of was gently led to this quitting that now I have a problem. Like because mm -hmm. I gave it up, I, I now have an issue. But when I continue, like when if I just continued on drinking like everybody else, I didn't have a problem. You'd Do be you, normal. you understand what I'm You'd saying? Be like right. It felt a little hypocritical that yeah. when you acknowledge that something isn't serving you, that's when you have the issue and not when you're just drinking and being merry like everybody else. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, so I found a lot of books. I just started educating myself and slowly over time, podcasts were really huge for me. So I listened to Home Podcasts, which is uh, a podcast from Laura McCowan and Holly Whitaker. So that was just interesting to me too because they talked about all kinds of these concepts that people weren't talking about anywhere else. And I didn't consciously realize my mind was changing, but it was changing. And I was feeling more empowered about this choice. I was feeling like I was doing something good for myself. I felt like I had discovered the secret sauce or like the life hack that other people didn't get to the point of discovering. When I was at that AA meeting and getting that chip, I was jealous of all the older people in that meeting that got to drink longer, got to drink longer <laughs> than I did. <laughs> right. And over time, I became grateful that I quit when I did because not only did I save myself from a lot of potential damage, but I also am able to exceed my potential that I would have had had I kept drinking. Yeah. Counterculture. Yes. So anyway, so I was, um, 2019 was when I started Counterculture, and I felt great in my sobriety. I was really, you know, I had a good online community. I'd made a lot of friends through Instagram, like I mentioned, but I didn't have an in-person community, and I didn't want to go back to AA just to make friends, basically. So I said, uh, if something doesn't exist, I think I'm capable of building it. And I know these people are out here. We have over 60 breweries in Charlotte. People with that kind of strong drinking culture, there has to be the other end of the spectrum of people that are sick of that kind of drinking culture. Totally. And so I kind of just put out the call and I said, I want to start this group of a social group for women that are looking to connect with other alcohol-free women in Charlotte. And I had a friend that was also sober. I had met through, I work in PR as my day job, and she also worked in PR. So we connected, we talked about it. She was really supportive and just started out being like a social meetup. It was on, we posted on Meetup and Facebook and 
gradually over time, it became bigger and I turned it into an actual business in 2020. But basically what it is now is it is just, it's become a global alcohol-free community. So we're based in Charlotte, but we have a monthly membership that has members from all over the world. So we have people in New Zealand, London, Amsterdam, Canada, and California, and kind of spread out all over. And then we have a really strong local community as well, where we we do a lot of monthly in-person events, and then we do virtual weekly share circles with our virtual, with our global community. Wow. What do those events look like? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we do mon- uh, we do weekly yoga at Camp North End, and that's open to the public. And that's just an opportunity for us to host a, an event regularly for anybody that's curious or interested in our mission or just wants to take a yoga class on a Sunday. And then we do a lot more for the monthly membership community. So we meet every, like I mentioned, we do the weekly share circles. We also get dinner once a month. Uh, we went to the Whitewater Center last Sunday. Nice. We go to like Kerrigan Farm. So all of these activities that I wanted to do and the girls in the group wanted to do, but we didn't want to do them surrounded by drinkers and be the only ones not drinking, mm-hmm. we now just do them together. Mm-hmm. It's a space where alcohol is just irrelevant. Like you don't have to worry about someone asking you why you're not drinking. You don't have to, you know, deal with the mental gymnastics of like, how many should I have? Should I have one? What should I, you know, what should I drink instead? There's just the anxiety and the stress of being in that environment is removed because we're all on the same page and everybody is not drinking. God, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I feel that every day. Yeah, I mean, every time I go somewhere that is in a social setting, it's that that gymnastics is going on. It's mm-hmm. who's going to be drinking, mm-hmm. who's not, who's going to look at me for not. You know, I, I mean, that for 15 years I've been doing that. Yeah, we have a group chat going with the members. And just yesterday, someone was talking about she had gone to like a boat party. And she was saying, what do you guys say when people ask you why you're not drinking and pressure you and, like, keep kind of digging? Because people were apparently just saying, you know, pushing it, like being like, well, why are you not drinking? And, you know, come on, you can have just one. And just, you know, it's just stressful to be in that. And you shouldn't have to explain yourself. But in the culture that we live in, unfortunately, often people do want you to explain yourself. Yeah, they need that explanation mm-hmm. for themselves. Well, they want to know that they're <laughs> safe. And, right. you know, they want to, if you have a problem, they want to know about it so they can make sure that, like, they're they not. tell everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, they don't want to be, they're like, okay, well, you've had a DUI and I haven't, so I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that's that's the safety. Yeah. Molly, one of the questions that I had for you was just how your experience, you know, through going to AA and kind of feeling this, like, obviously a very, very productive experience for you early on and really helpful and supportive. And then as you kind of shaped your understanding of what your sobriety was going to look like, kind of redefining how you wanted to use that in your life live kind of within your environment and maybe even identify yourself or not. And I'm curious how, how did that play out when you were creating counterculture club as far as being really inclusive or not using the word alcoholic, like who's welcome? So anyone is welcome in the group. I'll just answer that question first. Um, We have members that I don't even really know their relationship to alcohol. All I know is that they are looking for more alcohol-free spaces, and more things to do that don't involve drinking. So we don't require you to be sober. We don't require you to even be sober curious. It's just 
people that want that authentic community that isn't found, you know, gathered around a picnic table at a brewery. But in terms of the label, I, you know, I don't identify as an alcoholic. Uh, That is a big piece of being an AA is that you're kind of expected to identify that way. And so, you know, when I was in meetings, I did because I am a rule follower and that's what everyone else was doing. Um, But it felt really good for me to drop that and um, kind of just build my own patchwork of of recovery and sobriety and and figure out what worked for me and I encourage other people to do that too like AA works wonders and it definitely helped me at the beginning held me accountable and um, I did the 90 meetings in 90 days and that gave me enough space away from alcohol and enough clarity to think use my brain again and like be able to find other resources that worked better with my mindset and also helped me change my mindset. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so cool to see kind of the inclusive paths I love. I think we've got a lot more of that now in our community and globally where it's not a requirement to say, hey, I'm an alcoholic to quit drinking or receive support around living an alcohol free life. So I just love anything, you know, where we're like, please show up sober. This is a sober space. And you know, your, your journey is yours, but we're here for support, I think is, it's incredible. And one of the things that we're kind of looking at is just all of the new kind of options for sober people and kind of this new exciting wave of people who are really interested in removing alcohol, especially after a year of kind of having an extended snow day and people were like like stuck inside and drinking. Right. And can you talk a little bit about just what it's like for you now living in a world where there are a lot more options and you've created one of them and just the excitement around sobriety in general, but also all the new options that there are for folks, especially younger people who are kind of looking at removing alcohol and really just kind of inviting you to celebrate with us about the fact that this is being more talked about, Mm -hmm. that we're trying to get it more out in that space and that there is more, there's more to do now. There's more people to talk to about it now. That is what I love is that there are more and more options every day for people that are that want to, like the sober curious term. I love that term. I'm a big words person. I write. I'm in public relations. I understand that messaging and word choice really matters. Maybe not for everyone, but for a lot of people it does, and it mattered for me. So finding ways to articulate my experience and also finding people that felt that and understood that and wanted that community uh, has been game-changing for me. And uh, I think that helps so much to just be able to say, you don't have to quit drinking forever. You don't have to say, I'm swearing off alcohol. It doesn't have to be black and white. You can look at your drinking. You can look at it with a critical eye. You can be an investigator in your own life and be curious. And that just, that positioning just feels better for a lot of people because it is also giving them their agency and their power Mm -hmm. and their ability to make an informed decision of how they want to drink, when they want to drink, why they're using alcohol, and go from there. And also, again, like, we're hosting fun events and we're giving people the opportunity to go out and see if they can go and have fun without alcohol because some people think that they literally can't socialize and can't have fun without drinking and so our events are an opportunity to debunk that for for people to debunk that for themselves it's a safe space right which is often missing 
it's like a lot of people are going and trying that with friends who do drink that's really hard to because you feel as soon as everyone has a drink and you don't even if you're the most confident non-drinker and don't I'm not are not tempted by alcohol like I don't want to drink and I don't feel tempted I do still feel left out if I'm the only person Mm -hmm. not drinking a cocktail so the Mm -hmm. um you know the non-alcoholic options make that a lot easier as well I'm just kind of curious, what's the average kind of age range that you're seeing interested in counterculture? Yeah, so our age range in the group varies from like early 20s, but I'd say the bulk of the membership is in their early 30s. I'm 31 now. My birthday was last week. So I think that might be part of it too, is that I'm the person that's started the group. So I'm attracting people that are kind of in a similar stage of life as I am. But we also have people that are in their 50s and and uh, a little older, so it, it varies. I'm imagining, you know, pockets of this all over the world, and oh, having yeah. having representatives uh-huh. leading the leading the show there. And I mean, I yeah. assume that's that's the goal. That I, would be the goal. Yeah, 100%. I, I really do. I think we have like fertile ground now for people that, yeah. that want to explore their their drinking, and we need a place where people can go and be a part of a community and learn together and feel safe. Mm-hmm. and have fun and I, I mean i think that there's just a, a massive like opportunity here for stuff like counterculture to kind of catch fire and and really provide a a, a big need for people right now yeah mm-hmm. totally yeah especially because a lot of people started drinking more during the pandemic yeah. oh yeah. yeah right molly one thing that we try to do is just leave our listeners with you know some words of encouragement, some advice, some places to kind of begin and, and takeaways from each episode. And I'm curious for you, having been in this space and having met a lot of people who are just entering this space, where would you tell our listeners to begin or what advice would you give them if they're starting kind of this curiosity around their relationship with alcohol? Yeah, I think that that word again, curiosity is, is, is what what it should be it's not necessarily I am quitting I'm never drinking again I'm putting this down and I'm like going cold turkey it's kind of just look you know you don't necessarily have to make any big changes right away but looking at it thinking about you know every time you reach for a drink think about why you're doing it and what you think you're going to be relieving and um you know educating yourself about the impacts of alcohol and that I think is helpful in terms of the investigative approach. But um, one other thing that I encourage people to do, again, is like seek community. I don't think that, sure, you can do this alone, but I, it's really, really challenging to to try and solve this in a vacuum for yourself because, again, it feels really isolating in an alcohol-soaked culture to be pursuing this mm-hmm. and to feel like you're the only one and you have no one to talk to and ask these questions of. And you know, it might lead you to want to just give it up because it feels too hard. But if you have a couple people you can give a call to or a group or a place you can go, then it feels a little bit more manageable. And because of companies like yours, people don't have to do it alone. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing I would say is just start like no one ever feels ready and it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to. like. There's no expectation that you will. You're going to slip up. You're going to It's not a linear journey, but just give it a shot because you're never going to feel 100% ready. So you may as well just try it and go from there. It's not easy. It's not easy. (laughs) 
not. <laughs> it's not easy. All right, so let's segue into something that might be a little more uh, interactive here. So let's go through the, the lists of things that we hear being in this world that people often uh, express as a fear of what life is like without alcohol. We know being on the other side, a lot of that is irrational as lots of fears are, but let's go down some of the things that we know and hear and probably have felt ourselves and just kind of shed light on those things. First one is life will be boring. I would counter that life was much more boring for me when I was drinking because my hobbies were drinking. Right, and that's and it. And now I actually have hobbies and interests, and I read books. I have more to say, more to contribute to a conversation because I'm educating myself. I'm reading interesting books. I'm going out and trying new experiences, and yeah, I didn't do that when I was drinking. Yeah, so it was like every day was the same. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and even every, if I mean the bar would change. Sometimes weekend, it would be a rooftop. Sometimes it would be a dive right. bar. Sure. But yeah. Next one. People won't like me. I would say some people might not but those probably aren't your people. And by by quitting drinking, you might be able to weed out the people that actually aren't your friends for the right reasons. If mm-hmm. someone's going to have a problem with you not drinking, then maybe your interests are, your best interests aren't of a concern to them. Yeah. Look at that guy. He wants to be more healthy. What a loser. Right. What a loser. <laughs> it just kind of blows my mind that when someone says they're doing something like letting go of alcohol or not drinking tonight, that another person would push them and try to get them. Like, why does it matter to you so much what I am doing and what I am why I'm, what I am putting in my body? Right. Because yeah, it normalizes. Yeah. I mean, we always say in the group, like, it's, it's more about their own relationship to alcohol. It has mm-hmm. nothing to do with you and yours, but it's a whole other thing. Yeah. So. It is. The FOMO, mm-hmm. you know, the fear of missing out, the the not being included. Um, and I... Robbie know, has a big problem with that. I, <laughs> I've said this many times. I'm 15 years into an alcohol-free life, and I still... It hurts my feelings when I'm not invited to stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And it's... I guess it's alcohol or not, you're going to feel that if, you're, if you feel like you're not included in something. But how do you deal with that? Because I need to know. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, FOMO is real, but I also would say that I almost felt more FOMO when I was drinking because I didn't do any other, like the things people were doing outside of drinking, like going to museums or going to yoga classes. Like I couldn't keep up with anything else or have any other real social interests if, the, if drinking wasn't involved or drinking wasn't invited. It's so, so crazy. That, that it mean, was limiting, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and, and I think about my own experience when I was kind of in my own alcohol use about how I didn't even know what I was missing out on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It wasn't. So it was like, like the opposite. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to lose things when you give up drinking. You're going to lose the old way of life and maybe you're going to lose some friends, but you're opening yourself up to such a bigger life and bigger opportunities so Mm -hmm. you don't know what you don't know yeah yeah you know well and towards the end of my run it was i was being disincluded is not a word unincluded (laughs) i wasn't excluded excluded excluded. there we go go. unexcluded (laughs) good lord we promise we're smart majors in here Uh, no, but uh, towards the end of my run, I was being excluded from things because I was such a heavy drinker, mm-hmm. you know, and then I quit drinking and I'm being excluded from the heavy drinking things and both sides were FOMO for me and it's yeah. just stupid. 
Another one. I won't be funny anymore. Um, well, all you have to do is be sober at a party when everyone else is super duper drunk, yeah. and you'll realize that they're not they're actually not funny. funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This is not funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so in your, in your mind, you're the funniest person oh, at man. the bar. But Killing it. Killing it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. In my first three months without alcohol, I think I laughed more. Oh, yeah. Than I had the previous, like, 10 years. Real laughter, too. Yeah. Like, I mean, cough it was up like... Cough-up phlegm laughter. Yes. <laughs> you, you just... You can't, you know? I'm scared of the feelings that I will have to face. Yes. So, those feelings will never go away. And they won't go away if you don't deal with them. And so, you, you can buy temporary relief with alcohol, but you're buying it on credit and the feelings will come back the next mm-hmm. day, and they will be exacerbated, mm-hmm. and you will also potentially have to deal with the wreckage of what those feelings did when you were drinking. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, that, for me, like the emotional sobbing about the feelings that I didn't deal with when I was sober just exacerbated all the damage that I had to go and then undo the next day. I think that's such a profound thing for us to understand as a culture um, is that we're just suppressing everything. Yeah. With this stuff, yeah, and, and it's it's we're just pushing it down, pushing it down, and avoiding it, stunting and, the yeah, growth, and it's mm-hmm. always gonna be there. Yeah, I think for me, it feels like kind of badass to be like deconstructing these societal narratives mm-hmm. that we're being fed of like this is you know you need alcohol for this or you need alcohol for that. For me to be living my lifestyle devoid of alcohol and actually doing all these things without it, like that's empowering to me. So again, it's like looking future focus, looking at the positive benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle rather than what you're going to lose is just a more effective strategy yeah. for me. I mean, I think thinking about the way that our society talks about like not drinking, it's like you can't change your drinking <laughs> drinking habits unless you like admit that you have a problem mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. there's like so much shame and yeah and you're also not going to be the, able to change the way other people think about non-drinkers or mm-hmm. you not drinking so all you can do is work on your own thoughts about it and mindset and then speak about it and live that way and people will see that yeah yeah, yeah. when there's there's also this this you know, the stigma, and that word is such a hype word or whatever around this, but the, the something is wrong with me, mm-hmm. you know, and like, and we've already spoken about this, but like, I have a problem and you, and you need to admit you have a problem in order to, you know, go forward in this world alcohol free, but that's the stigma. Like, that's the hang up and the hurdle for mm-hmm. so many people. It's like, what if I don't have a problem? It's like the depth to that word problem when we're discussing alcohol. It's not like as anything else. Like, yeah, I got a problem with this. I got a problem with that. I'm going to change it. There's no shame in that. But for some reason around alcohol, our society and culture has adopted this. Like, oh, when alcohol and problem are in the same sentence, it's like... So that's like that's the whole reason that we have tried to pull it back to the wellness space, right? I mean, it's just so right. unproductive when we put it anywhere else. So when we bring it into the wellness space where we do cut out carbs and we do increase kale consumption and we do all these things that, you know, we're we're a lot more open to talking about it. And I just wanted to kind of bring it back around and almost like blow the question all the way up of just, uh, Molly, why do you think alcohol 
should be part of the wellness consideration or conversation. Like, why would we even want to take a look at alcohol in the first place when we're talking about general health, wellness, and kind of living this happy, full life? Yeah, I mean, we don't talk about it. And I think that's the main reason that people turn a blind eye to it is because it isn't no one you know even when you go to the doctor they're not talking to you about your relationship to alcohol and we're we're not educated on the impacts of alcohol and even just one or two drinks a day but it all it really does affect your health and it can kind of uh even if you're doing the yoga and drinking the green juices and doing all these things like drinking alcohol is damaging to your body like there's you know I don't like think alcohol is bad I'm not like a prohibitionist I don't tell people they shouldn't drink but like we do need to acknowledge that there are health impacts no matter how many drinks that you're consuming Mm -hmm. so it is interesting to me and feels kind of hypocritical for the wellness community like you know goop for example is sponsored by this vodka brand or I think it's like a kettle I don't know which one it is I just heard someone talking about it like it just is weird it's a weird juxtaposition of you know we're so healthy and but we're also drinking this organic wine but it's okay because it's organic mm-hmm. like it's still alcohol it's an organic it's neurotoxin all yeah. like at the end yeah. of the day it's so. a healthy poison and I think <laughs> these conversations are what helps like just talking about it because for years for most of our history people just didn't talk about it it was so hush hush and that just makes it more stigmatized because mm-hmm. people don't are afraid of what they don't understand molly we can't thank you enough for being here you're a wealth of knowledge thank you for having me. i love that you are yeah, 31 years old great. and have organically reached these places of awareness and it's super respectable and we're honored to have you on here so thank you for coming in thank you for having thank me you. thank you for creating this this podcast <laughs> Patrick, Sam, what, what, what do y'all want to leave our listeners with? It was really inspiring. Mm-hmm. It really made me think how much we need organizations like Counterculture for you know the the gray area drinkers or the people that don't identify as alcoholics. There is there's nothing out. I mean, there's really like nothing our, in our community for them to connect with and come together and that 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 revolves around you know, alcohol-free alcohol free stuff. I mean, there's plenty of health and wellness stuff, but like, you know, we said, it's, you know, sometimes that stuff's littered with alcohol use and, and acceptability of drinking. I think we just, we need a lot more of that that's, that's inclusive, um, that doesn't have any barriers to entry, uh, where people can get educated and, and really start to explore an alcohol-free life. Yeah. Well said. Thanks. I think it's amazing. I think anytime someone's creating something from a place of a gap, right? Like she saw where there was a gap in the type of support that she would want. And so she went and created it. And then the byproduct is like, there's millions of other people who also wanted that thing. And to even think of myself as being able to attend counterculture club events as I just don't want to drink today. And I don't want my yoga to you know, be at a brewery or I don't want Whitewater Center to automatically come with like, what's on the local tap this week? Like, I don't care. I don't want to go drink. I just want to go do stuff. Like I'm thinking of the person who's like, I don't necessarily have a problem with alcohol. 
and I would probably like to drink less than I already do by default. And they can go and do these activities and go have sober fun together with just the removal of any pressure around drinking or having to explain why you're not. And it's almost like you get to dip your toe in sober life abundancy without having to say I'm quitting drinking or reserving sobriety for like January or October. And such a cool place. I've been referring clients to Counterculture Club, right? Because whether they choose not to drink today or forever, it's such a neat place to gather. And I love that one of her biggest takeaways is like, don't try to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. There are plenty of other people out there like you with the similar interest. Mm. Good stuff. So to our listeners, if this is something that's interesting to you, if you're looking to find a community uh, that you can implement yourself that doesn't involve alcohol, uh, you can either start one if you're in another city, another town. Uh, If you're in Charlotte, obviously reach out to Counterculture and and get involved. But if you're somewhere else, you can start your own community. We advise you to either contact Molly and get some advice on how to do that or just start your own community. Two people, five people, one person. Just get it going. Secondly, try new things. Try things without alcohol. That's, That's the first step. As Molly mentioned, dive in, you know, or stick your toe in. Either way, enter a little bit and see how it is and understand that it might not be the end of the world. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.